Welcome, welcome back to the Over the Bar podcast. Your home, as always, for all things U.S. soccer. Like usual, just uh, two, three guys trying to uh, talk soccer, get the vibe of having a bar, having a, having a couple of pubs with your mates. So, um, as always, I am your co-host, Noah, and I have here today, guess how many of the three? Just one. We just got Sumer here today, my, my lovely co-host, Sumer. Sumer, how are you doing, friend? Hey, buddy. Doing well. Doing well. Nick is still dealing with uh, a nagging nagging injury that he's trying to get over, but uh, I'm fully recovered, fully healthy, and uh, excited to be back. Excited to continue the, the deep dive into the U.S. men's national team pool and what we have for us. And, you know, next thing we know it, June will be right there. You know, April's flying by as soon as we get through May. Like, it's going to come soon. We're all going to be freaking out about who's getting called up. And then next thing you know, it's November. So this is all going to fly by. It's flying by already, but I'm excited to continue the, the combo. Yeah, man, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Like you said, we're, we're almost in June, a month and a half, a little less than a month and a half until those Nations League games and slash friendlies against, is it confirmed Uruguay twice or is it Uruguay once and another team? Do we, do we know yet? I, I don't know. I saw, I saw, I forget which opponent, someone potentially at TQL Stadium in Cincy. Um, which we know the U.S. men's national team loves Ohio. I think they said Ghana there, which would be so crazy to see Ghana and Cincinnati. Um, but I don't know. They haven't announced the full the full lineup of, of games and who we're playing exactly when. But, um, but yeah, six games coming up. There we go. I've heard Uruguay on potentially the West Coast because I know Uruguay, this is coming from them, is playing Mexico in a friendly, I believe, somewhere on the West Coast or in Arizona or something like that. Um, so I believe that we may play them there. But yeah, like you said, games to look forward to, hopefully games against good opposition. I mean, if we're looking at it right now, and, and Uruguay and Ghana are the two friendlies in conjunction with the Nations League. I mean, that'll be a great test for the guys. And, and that's something that I think there's a lot of people here and a lot of people, especially in the center back pool, which you alluded to somewhere we're going to be discussing today a little bit. A lot of people in the center back pool who I think fans would really, really like to see tested at a higher level of competition than CONCACAF. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, that's what it's going to take to to understand if they're ready or not or who is capable of playing at that level uh, against the teams we'll be seeing in the World Cup because CONCACAF, as everyone knows, completely different thing, completely different beast than, um, you know, than the, what the World Cup takes. So um, that's, you know, going to be very important for some of these players uh, and a big opportunity for some as well. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, so like you alluded to, Samir, we are going to continue with our deep dive today into the broader U.S. player pool as we get ready for, you know, Nations League friendlies, as we get ready for ultimately the World Cup in November. Uh, we're going to be going through some center backs today. But before that, you want to do a quick weekend roundup, talk about who performed, uh, had the very few Americans that did perform, let's be honest, this weekend. But I had a couple guys yeah. I liked, I know. Not a, not a star-studded, uh, you know, last week. I mean, dating back to, to Tuesday, um, was gutted to see Chelsea and Christian bounced out of the Champions League. I hope everyone caught that game. What a game there. Um, really thought that Chelsea was going through about the 75th minute, and then it all went to shambles. So Christian's out of the Champions League, had a number of guys kind of go in, in Europa and stuff. Um was nice to see Serginho back. He finally got his first taste back from injury in Europa on Thursday. Obviously, Barca lost and 
started their uh, their losing streak as they've now lost two in a row today. Um, but Serginho played again today. But yeah, Serginho. Good to exactly. see him back. Exactly. But yeah, I was just giving a little bit of background on kind of those guys. James Sands, though, is still going in Europa. Um, and Tyler Adams is still going in Europa. Um, Conrad De La Fuente is still going in conference. And so is Cole Bassett. So I just wanted to give a little bit of Europa League, Champions League, Conference League, uh, a little background. But who did you like, like, from the actual weekend? You know, I'm talking Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think one guy I wanted to highlight, and, and this is partially, you know, I, I tweeted this out a couple times on, on my personal account. And I, I believe the Over the Bar account may have had some some takes on this too. Eric Palmer Brown has a player who, for me, has has had one of the best 2022s so far of any guy in the U.S. men's national team pool. Um, is putting up constant performances for Trois, and we'll get into him a little bit later, you know, as a center back. But I thought he had another great performance, one of his best performances in the French league, and and it seems like I'm saying that kind of time. Time and time again, game in, game out. But really liked liked what he did this weekend. And I think he is one of our most underrated players in the entirety of the pool. Wait, um, remind me again, what what is the team that, that EPB plays for? It's pronounced Trois in France, like the like mm. number three, but it's T-R-O-Y-E-S. I don't even know if that was a word. It sounded more like a um a sound you just made there. Quoi. You know, it didn't but but, I, <laughs> but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's the, the correct pronunciation, but uh but yeah, no, EPV is, is shining right now. He's having a great 2022, um, you know, going through it, really showing his worth. Saw his uh, interview with Johan Gomez and Tanner Tesserman on mm-hmm. the chump chat. You know, talked about really wanting to to make it hard on Greg to get called up. And I mean, he doesn't really have to make it hard. I mean, he doesn't have to do you know much. It's going to be hard regardless with, with right. the center back pool that we have. Right. Um, but he's definitely making it harder than it already is. And, you know. I, I just I, I love the guy. I, I players who have you know come up the ranks and we've seen for years and been a part of the system for a long time. Just I don't know I have a special feeling, you know, a special sense of attachment towards them. And seeing him go through all these ranks, leave Sporting Kansas City and go to Manchester City and everything, all the stories and everything, ups and downs. To now in 2022, he's killing it. He what is he? Probably 23 at max, 24 maybe. Um, it's just, uh, you know, awesome to see for him. It is. It is. And I think we've seen, too, you know, some of these guys who we've especially – a couple of guys we've been seeing for so long, right, part of that U-20 World Cup. Uh, some of these guys we've seen just popping up and up and up. We've been tracking them for so long, and it gets very easy, you know, to write a lot of these guys off when we've been following them since they were 16, 17, 18 years old, right? But I think we've seen this year – especially, you know, just as, as a whole, that development is not linear. Players don't develop on their own, on the set time scale, right? Sometimes it takes certain guys a little bit longer to reach a peak. And then they reach that peak and they're still top, top players. And I think Eric Palmer Brown might be a guy who is, who's coming into his own, like you said. Maybe this is the year for him to, to really kind of step it up and, and become the player who we saw splashes of. Ever since he was he was he was a kid coming up in, in the SKC Academy, so yeah, and that's a great point. And you know, another person who follows that in my eyes is Georgi Milhanovic, mm. another player who who really is starting to shine now after a little bit of a you know break in in the the linear progression that we think of at the round of the age of like 19, 20, 21. But these last basically calendar year, 
who's just been flying, I I would totally understand a move to Europe in the summer at this point. He, it's not even like oh he has hype, you know he has the numbers, whatever. You watch a game and you see him play, and he's so impactful. He mm-hmm. he he generates so much, so many chances, he, strong in so many facets of the of, of the game: passing, shooting, crossing, IQ, turning, uh, first touch. You know he's a phenomenal player in my eyes in the major league soccer and. He's another player who you know may not follow that linear progression, but has found the right spot with Montreal and is really taking it, uh, you know, his opportunity right now. Definitely, I hundred percent agree. And and you know, you, we mentioned Georgie because Georgie had another great game, uh, scored a goal, and like you said, was just just overall very influential in that game. And he's got two goals and uh, sorry, four goals and two assists on the season. What seven games into the season? Um, already have six plus goals and assists. I love um, it. I love it. Georgie is a guy who, who is, a, for me, is a pure creator, right? He's got a goal for it. And, and, you know, he may be, it maybe isn't as good as some of their other guys in ball progression and transition play and things like that. But if you give him the ball and you ask him to break down a defense, find, you know, find a guy in space, find a tight through ball, he's going to find it. And, and that's what he, I love about Mahalovic. He makes me question how much I actually want Luca because I do think they're kind of similar. And mm. I don't know. I mean, I just, I think they, I guess in my eyes, when I'm watching them, I guess they look similar. Um, maybe that's what I'm thinking, but I don't know. He's somebody that I could potentially see if he made the right move in Europe and played well in the fall, potentially take someone like Luca's spot, at least in my rankings. Because right now I have Luca in there and I could see Georgie take him. If potentially, potentially. Yeah. But yeah. It's but, weird that you say he reminds you of, of kind of Luca and Luca Del Torre in that mold. Not the goal scoring so much, but the the ball, the the progression, the ability with the ball. You know, the, the quick turns, the the I do think he has you know strong ball progression. I think he's stronger than Luca in the final third. I think he has a lot of Weston McKenney in him. I really do. I think their their styles of play, well, you know. Georgie might be a little more on the technical, the suave kind of stylish player. I think Weston McKinney often gets so underrated in that department, in his technical department, in his ball progression department, and and even in his ability to find a pass every now and then. I think Weston gets so underrated. And when you talk, I want to talk about midfielders with goal threat. I mean, Georgie Mihailovic and Weston McKinney are our two biggest midfielders when it comes to that right now. Yeah, in that sense, for sure. You know, I totally that in that in in the ability to comparing them in that aspect. I, I do think they're very similar. Yes. Um, I will say though, another guy who, who I really, really liked from the MLS this weekend. Um, and it may not show because of the scoreline of the game, I believe ended zero, zero. was Paxton Pomichol. I, I thought Pomichol showed a lot of, it was moments for me, right? It wasn't like goals or assists, but it was just overall, he looked kind of a class above in most elements of play, right? Talk about another midfielder who, who is silky, has a touch of just finesse about him, has an eye for a pass, big soccer IQ, great vision. Like I, and, and I saw a lot of that this weekend from Pomacall. I mean, I know we've talked about the Dallas Five, right, time and time again. I, I, just, I think Pomacall is somebody who, with a good season, could be pushing for maybe a June call-up or something like that, or a September call-up even. I think his skill set and the way he's been performing uh, at least warrants a June call-up. He, I mean, he said it himself 
he does need to get on the end of the on the score sheet a little bit more, especially as an eight. Mm-hmm. You know, I do want I, I I love that he, you know, is creating some of these chances, is super hardworking, the work rate's phenomenal, you know, the way he's able to transition forward and back. Um, but I do want to see, you know, him get they they tied their game zero zero against the New York Red Bulls, obviously away and New York's a, a decent team, but um, you know, I want I do want to see some some end production from from someone like that who's playing in a in a high up eight, you know, with right. a di- with a dynamic team like them too, you know, with a team that wants to push the pace and a striker and an outside winger like Ariola. I do want to see a little bit more in that sense. It's definitely for sure. Who do you like this weekend? Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the hot person right now to mention. Yeah, obviously, going to give him a mention. Haji Wright, another one of the another one of my fanboys, just because of, uh, or I'm a fanboy of his, I guess, because of his, you know, rise up through the system type of thing and all. You know, Schalke man's. I I I really saw. I he scored. Do you remember when he scored for Schalke? Um, he scored one goal for Schalke, and he scored when he came off and uh, the bench, I believe, or maybe he started. I don't care. And I thought it was like, all right, maybe they'll keep him. You know, he's looking good. It was like the last few games of the season. They immediately offloaded him right, right after. You know, they knew. I guess he wasn't the guy. He was in mm-hmm. Denmark, and now he's in Turkey, getting coached by Nordi Sahin. I saw his goal. What was it? I think last week or two weeks ago, where he basically dummy turned the defender and drove down the end line and somehow got it through the goalkeeper. He just looks like a... I think that, that uh, was this an, past in, weekend. That was the goal that he just scored this past weekend, I believe. Oh, was, that, was, that, was that this past weekend? Yeah, All I'm saying is he's a unique striker. And he's a big build, but it looks like he has some some technical prowess to him. And, uh, I mean, again, with the question at the number nine, what's the what's the reasoning to not call up someone who's like this? I mean, if we're... You know, there's no harm in, in getting him a shot and seeing, okay, well... You know, we have a lot of people who score goals. Can you do the other things? Oh, wow. Maybe you can. Oh, wow. You know, so I would love to see that. And I, you know, super happy to see Haji. Love, love myself some Haji, right? Haji, right? is a weird one. Uh, I mean, people might forget that, that Dortmund, he was on Dortmund's radar at the same time they were looking at Christian Pulisic, right? They were in kind of in that same vein of maybe getting some, some playing time and maybe getting a signing. Obviously, Dortmund went the way that we all know. And Haji ended up, you know, out in, in the back ends of Turkey at the moment. But look, he's he's playing decently well there. Um, you know who else is a starting striker in Turkey? Kyle Lahren, who is Canada's starting striker. So, look, do I have questions over the Turkish league? Absolutely. I don't really know the standard of the Turkish league anymore. Uh, no Turkish club has really done anything in Europe over the past decade or so, I feel. But look, like you said, guy bagging goals is going to get some, some decent playing time and, and, and it's worth a call up for sure. Oh yeah. Like I said, and you know, another person that I wanted to mention before I mentioned something else was, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm so high on him. I think he, the, he has the world in front of him and his ceilings tremendous is, uh, Gaga Slonina. Um, another, another just strong game. What he has like nine clean sheets in like his last something matches dating back to, uh, the last season. um, He's just, I said it on Twitter um, with the recent woes and everything. Like I rate him so highly that I don't see that it's a far off stretch to have him included. And we talked about it in our last pod, but to see him included in Qatar, like if the situations all aligns the way they might, and certain people are not in the greatest of situations, why couldn't someone like him who clearly is showing the ability, you know, to play, 
I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm basically just saying I rate him highly. I love the way he's playing. I love the amount of clean sheets he's keeping. And, you know, it's really something to keep note of. And we already know the, the interest he has abroad. It should also be interest with the U.S. men's national team. So, I mean, you mentioned it, right. And, and maybe go over some of those, some of those, you know, those key factors, you know, that might contribute to him being Qatar, because I feel like he's a guy who definitely a lot of people are viewing as potential, but not as right finished product. And, and obviously he's not finished product yet, but not as like Qatar worthy right now, but like you kind of alluded to, there are a few contingencies to that where our goalkeeper situation may not be the most, maybe very fluid right now. Right. And yeah, like you just said, like, first of all, just to recap, they did play LA galaxy this weekend. Um, you know, a strong test there and to hold a clean sheet was strong. Um, by the situations, I mean, like we all know, we have a, we have Matt Turner going to Arsenal. What is, what is happening there? What, you know, we may say what we want or think what we want, but we don't know for sure what's happening there. We then have Zach Steffen at city. What's happening there. Again, we think and know what we want, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And if these situations don't allow for the players to be in full fitness and playing at a regular basis, which is what we're worried about right now, then why not? Why not somebody who, who in my eyes looks like a, a premier shot stopper um, and looks you know, decently good with his feet as well in the games that I've watched. Um, so yeah, that's just my situation. We also have Ethan Horvath, who's what's up is his situation. We want all these guys to come out of July and, and August with loan moves somewhere where they're going to be starting. The odds that that all happens, I'd love if FanDuel could put them up because I would <laughs> definitely take the, uh, yeah, definitely look at look at placing some bets there. But gosh, yeah. Um, it's just, it's open. It's an open situation that if it went the right way, I could, I'd be confident seeing him slide in there potentially. Yeah, Not as the number sure. one, but be included, maybe. I, it's a good question for sure. And I have another follow-up question for you that maybe we get to a little bit later. Um, just because, you know, we we're talking goalkeepers and I, I saw this on Twitter the other day and I, I have gone back and forth on it since the time I answered the poll and, you know, even beforehand. Are you more concerned, Samir, about our number nine situation right now or about our goalkeeping situation from a U.S. standpoint? Probably number nine. I don't think I'm as worried at the, as the goalkeeper spot only because I am confident that one of them will be in a position to be, I'm confident in many of those guys. Like I am confident in, in Horvath being able to do the job or Turner or Stefan or Slonina. And I think that the situation won't be as bad as I'm saying, and that will be okay. Uh, I'm a little bit more worried about who is going to be the, the number nine. Cause yes, we have Pepe, but I'm still, indecisive about the impact he has on the game, especially at an international level in the World Cup. Same with Jesus. You know, PFOC, what are we getting with? DK, where's he? Haji, where's he? You know, we just, we don't have a true out-and-out number nine. Right. And I personally feel as if it's probably the most important thing to a team in terms of scoring goals. Like, I genuinely think without a number nine, you, in my eyes, you can't, it's, it's, it's super hard to be successful. Like, it's super hard to not have someone to occupy the center backs, to be able to put away goals, to to just be that driving force and and you know combination and whatnot, whatever you need. I just don't. I just think it becomes exponentially harder when you don't have a number nine. And we've seen with the rotation of our keepers, Stefan and Turner, this past year, that the job can get done. 
you know, especially with, even with Horvath. Like, the job could get done with any of those three in there. We've seen it the last calendar year. We've had three of them play, and we've won games with all of them in. Yes, are we better off with some of them or not? But I personally believe, in my eyes, um, the number nine position is what would be more impactful to our success in the World Cup. Yeah, no, yep. that, that's that. No, that's definitely fair. I, I think my my thoughts are more. The goalkeeping position worries me, only because I I think it would be a real shame to go into Qatar with none of our first choice potential goalkeepers getting regular minutes. That that worries me a little bit. I at least know that those guys who are in contention for the number nine spot, while they might not have shown to produce on the U.S. level will at least be going in with, with solid game time for the most part. You're right. You're right. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in the hopes that the situation that is of current will not be of current right. come November. Right. And, and that's, I think, the hope. Right. And if that's the case, if the situation is the keepers are in a better standing and we have some players with starting minutes and we still have potentially some similar situations at striker, I'm not going to be confident with going in with just being like, you know, PFOX playing every game. Like, I want him to start. Like, I'm not confident in that in the World Cup. And, that, you know, I, I, I was very upset to see Stefan's performance this weekend. I'm sure you were very happy. I don't know how you felt as a Liverpool fan, but uh, it's just, it again, was weird. Definitely- it was weird. Zach didn't have a good game. Um, you know, obviously, we also that blunder to let in Mane score the second. And, and it, for me, it was like, yes, from a Liverpool perspective, but why did it have to be Zach Stefan? Why did it have to be Zach? And, you know, it's hard, obviously, just as a human, right? You feel for the guy. And and you, I, don't, I, know, I don't know if you saw the pictures after the game with him and Ruben Diaz, but but he looked just devastated, man. He looks like he's it does, it's something. It's not all there right now, 100%. Um, Definitely. You know, you've seen it in a few performances. You've seen it in U.S. men's national team performances. Um, it, it's, not, it's not all there. That could be, you know, variety of factors. That could be. His chef's not cooking the right things back at home. You know, it could be anything. Right. Um, but it he just does not look at his best right now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's worrisome a little bit. Right. Agreed. To a guy now, one last guy, and then we can move on to, to kind of the, the meat of our podcast. But one like, last guy I wanted to mention because he's a guy who really does look at the best in this game right now. Uh, Julian Green. Well, he's been playing for a growth of first team in the Bundesliga. That is... Let's let's be real. Uh, going to get relegated. He has been one of their standouts alongside. Um, oh my days! Which Tillman brother is it? Is it Timothy Tillman? I believe playing in, alongside him in the midfield there. I believe so. Yeah, that's Tim. Another uh, another potential U.S. men's national team eligible player who who you know has been linked with with making the move to the U.S. Not sure what that's really going to look like. I know Germany has kind of taken the lead on that one. Um, in, in securing his spot from an international standpoint. But as of right now, Timothy Tillman is still eligible. Let's talk about him as if he was a U.S. player. Um, but, yeah, that, that dual pivot has been pretty, pretty good for growth to birth. It's kind of just been every other aspect of the game that has been lacking. Um, and Julian Green had a, had a very good performance in the nil-nil draw against Chris, Chris Richards-Offenheim this week. So... That was something I felt like needed pointing out too. I, I really am a fan of Julian Green. Um, I think he deserves a look. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that game, 
Chris Richards obviously played until halftime. Looked good in the first half. Not exactly mm-hmm. sure why. Did he come off with an injury or or no? It was uh, system it was very change. Much, it was very much a system change. A a we need goals because um, Hoffenheim is still pushing for a European spot, and basically a draw is the same thing as a loss for them at this stage of the season. So oh, okay, but uh, no, yeah, I mean, I, you rate Julian Green as an eight uh, in our system. And what do you see his potential being, if any, this summer? I think, I mean, I, realistically, I, I honestly think he's more of a 10. Um, but we, we don't play with him here at 10. I think he found success in his early years as a U.S. as a late arriving midfielder, kind of a distributor, um, similar to a, a Weston McKinney right now, for sure, is where he found a lot of his success. But no, I just think that, that he's, he's a guy who's kind of gone under the radar, has been con- getting consistent minutes in a very good league, um, was one of the best players in the Bundesliga 2 last year. And, you know, unfortunately that didn't, didn't quite translate in terms of his team success to the Bundesliga this year. But I think he's a guy who brings some technical skill. He's a guy who is very good on the dribble, very good on the turn, um, maybe has lost a little bit of the goal threat that he offered when he was – you know, scoring goals against Belgium in, in a World Cup uh, quarterfinal. But, look, I, I think he is is somebody who whose performances may have dictated a, a call-up, right? Now, does he offer something different than a lot of our guys? Not really. He doesn't really offer a different skill set. So, I don't really think he's going to be in that conversation. But in terms of... of you know, somebody who has been around, who who potentially knows the U.S. system, and who is still playing at a high level, and is still only twenty five years old. Julian Green might be might be that. You're guy. lying. He's twenty five still. I believe so. Oh my gosh, that man has aged terribly. Yeah, he, he, does, he, he looks forty, but yeah. Yeah, him him and Leon Flock could be dads. Leon Flock is twenty one. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's unbelievable. Um, but speaking of the MLS, I just want to say one last thing. Obviously, I don't know if anyone was tuning in, hopefully to the GA cup, this, uh, it's been going on the last what week, two weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Both the U 17s and the U 15s had MLS winners. And I ate my words. I don't know if you remember last week when I was talking uh, some crap against Portland and saying, Hey, that, you know, where's this, uh, this development from within. And then I, cl- I said, I, I did cover myself. I said, you know, we're probably be talking about them and, in two to three years um, and whatnot. And here you go. And here you go. They're U15s go in the uh, MLS GA, GA Cup for the, that age group. First MLS winners of that age group ever. So, you know, pretty impressive by them. And then Seattle Sounders come out and win the U17s. And there's been a two-year hiatus of this tournament. The last time it happened was in 2019. Seattle also won that one, the U17s then. So back-to-back. With a two-year oh. two-year gap of Seattle, and Seattle was the first time winning the GA Cup as an MLS. They were the first MLS team to win it in 2019, and then they did it again. They had no first-team players. Reed Baker Whitting was the only one that went there, and he left early to go play for Tacoma Defiance. Which I don't understand why you'd like be like, "Oh man, you gotta go!" Like Tacoma needs you. I'd rather, I'd rather get just... you. To be fair, I'd rather Reed get get USL minutes than GA minutes. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter, but. I just wanted to point out both those, both those age groups in that tournament, along the likes of you know you're not Man United, Flamingo, um, you know Monterey Tigres, 
Valencia, there was think, right? Valencia, Valencia. That's who I believe Seattle or Portland beat in, Portland, the, in the finals. Yeah. yeah so, a uh, big shout out to both those clubs and Seattle. Just you know, definitely taking the the youth stages by front. They there's just more and more that keep coming out of Seattle. Dude, yeah, and just you know, kind of a last last tangent on that point too. I mean, youth players and Seattle. Look, we saw even in their in their game this weekend. I believe they they ended up losing that game one nothing. Correct, but yeah. Uh, but look, they started the, a double pivot of Danny Leva and Josh Atencio. You know, two two under twenty U.S. internationals, under maybe even under eighteen U.S. internationals. I'm really not. I'm not sure how old Danny Leva is at this point, but definitely under twenty. Yeah, I don't know. Danny Leva was with that last U17 team that won it in 2019, along with Alfonso Ocampo Chavez. That's the only one I other remember on that team. But and Seattle also got. But the best goalkeeper in Wyatt Nelson, and then Stuart Hawkins was named uh, tournament MVP. He was their center back. They did not concede a single goal, uh, believe in the knockout rounds. So strong, strong defense right there. But yeah, just wanted to include that. Good for them. I love it. I love it. You know, speaking of center backs, Sumer, let's get into to the crux of our of our podcast here. We spent about about twenty minutes or so on uh, on our weekend roundup. Again, pretty light weekend for for the U.S. in terms of of the, how they go, but. Let's jump into it, man. Our center back pool. Obviously, our center back pool is a question mark, mostly, I believe, in terms of who are the periphery guys. We've obviously seen, you know, a few guys really stand out. Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, mostly about guys who are kind of taking the starting jobs is what it seems from Greg, uh, whether that's injury-related or, or something else. But I think a lot of the center-back conversation, like I said, is, is around those guys who, who are the third and the fourth guys to maybe be here. Now, I know I have questions about some – I have questions about Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson as well, but let's let's kind of just, just get into it. I mean, what is your first thoughts on the center back pool? A lot of, a lot of the U S talk is that it's one of our deepest positional groups. Oh, I, I, I would agree with that. I think it's a strong pool. I think it's a strong contingent of players. I would agree that Walker and miles are probably the front runners to take the first two spots. Um, whether or not they're going to be the first two starting or whatever. I just, I think they're definitely on the bus according to Greg. Um, but yeah, you look at the likes of <clears throat> just right now, we, you know, in my eyes, Chris Richards is another guy who I think could easily walk his way on the bus. John Brooks is someone we all highly rate. Mark McKenzie, you know, those are just a few off, off right now, just immediately. But this pool is deep, and there's a lot of players that could, depending on situations like CCV, Cameron Carter-Vickers, or, you know, Matt Miazga, who could make a return potentially. It's a deep pool that I think has a lot of options and going to come down to maybe – in my opinion, different skill sets. Um, but, you know, also I, I think that sometimes we want different skills. Like it has to be a balance of different skill sets and how do we want to play or how do we think we're going to play. Right. You know, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy when I look at the kind of breakdown of the pool and I just see all the players' names that there's a lot of potential here and a lot of European standards, a lot of MLS strong standards. Um, but what are, you, what are your takes on, on just the pool itself? No, I mean, I, I think the pool, I think we have a deep pool because in unlike U.S. teams of old, we have a center back pool whose skill set, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the word skill set, we have a center back pool whose skill set is varied. 
right? In terms of we have guys who are aerially dominant. We have guys who are good one-on-one defenders. We have guys who are, are good in transition. We have guys who are athletic, guys who can distribute, right? Now, we don't have one guy who is all of those things, unfortunately. Um, there's but, no, know, no Virgil that's... Van Dyke. You're telling me there's no, Virg- <laughs> no Virgil say, Van maybe, Dyke here? Maybe I'm lucky getting to watch the best center back in the world every every week with Liverpool. But yeah, no, no one guy like a Virgil Van Dyke who is good at all those things, unfortunately. But, you know, we have some guys and our, our top guys have, have multiple of those skill sets. And, and I think it's, it'll be interesting, right? Because I think the way we want to play with our center backs you know, as stated by Greg Berhalter, as stated by the Federation, and the way that we may be forced to play in Qatar could be very different. Do you, do you kind of get where I'm going oh, at? I totally think that, you know, Walker and Miles might have been chosen for specific skill sets that we know we were going to be going up in CONCACAF. You know, the aerial duels, just duels in general. I think duels is important, but, um, you know, Greg flat out said Walker you know, was main important thing was winning duels. And, you know, he knew he was going to go into a bunch of those in CONCACAF, long balls, whatever it took. I, you know, the next guy up on the list for me after those two is John Brooks. That's somebody who I think is high up in the pool. Um, did not look good this weekend. <laughs> they did lose 6-1 to Dortmund, Wolfsburg. I, I 100% think that would have changed if even Kevin Paredes was on the bench. There's no way they would have lost 6-1 even if he was sitting there. He would have found a way to impact the game. Uh, but John Brooks is someone who I still rate very highly with his passing ability, with his aerial ability, and with his experience with the national team. So that's one player who I think is in the pool that people still need to be rating and thinking. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure they are. But that's one person I want to highlight. Who's another person in the pool you think could is close to, to making that jump and could easily make the jump onto the, onto the bus for, the, for Qatar? I will definitely get to that, but I, I want to second your point about John Brooks real quick because, you know, a lot of people are very quick to point out John Brooks's weaknesses, um, and and we would be not great fans and not great advocates of, of this team if we didn't also recognize those weaknesses, um, you know, which have been cited. But but are things John Brooks still needs to to work on too. Um, John Brooks is not a very good defender in transition. He's not a very good defender when he has to face his own goal. Um, I don't think but, he's coming. I don't think he'll be there. In Qatar, I don't think he'll be there. I think he I mean, gets one more shot in the Nations League. I think he will be in the June camp. I think Greg Berhalter, now that this is something, relatively speaking, right, it is a low-consequence environment. This is the, the environment that we're going to be playing in in June is a time for experimentation and, and solidity, right? Two things which kind of seem antithetical to one another, but... By that, I mean, it's low stakes. So John Brooks will be in the camp because he deserves – John Brooks I, – and I say this, you're going to be like, John Brooks has done enough for the national team throughout his career and with Wolfsburg as of recent to earn another chance in a situation like this, both from my another, eyes yeah. and from Greg's eyes, I believe. Exactly. And if this was another player, if this was Chris, Chris Richards – for Wolfsburg doing these performances at right now. I personally think that he'd be called up, you know. Um, but I think it's an interesting note is John Brooks still does not have a club for 2022 after this season. So what's his club situation going to be come August to November? You know, where is he going to be playing? True. If, he, if, he, if he jumps down to, 
the Turkish league, are we still saying the same things and, and, and planning and calling him up? That could change a lot. So um, his future is another player, along with all these players that we've talked about with the World Cup timeline. What will his situation become October? No, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I think John Brooks is successful because at the very least, I believe he has, I mean, at the very least he will go to the MLS, which I wouldn't rate this move, but at the very least he would go to the MLS and probably win defender of the year first year, first season. A hundred percent. I mean, he's leagues above MLS. I mean, if Jeff Cameron can't do it, then why do you think John Brooks will do it? <laughs> because Ike Parra did it. Ike Parra. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm just messing. But um, what about what about Chris Richards? How, what, what, are, what are we thinking about him? Is he going to make, you know, how's he looking in the pool? I love Chris. I, I think Chris Richards is, first, if I had it my way, Suman, Chris Richards would be second name on the team sheet behind Tyler Adams. I, I think his skill set is that important to, to the U.S. Um, in terms of both how we want to play stylistically and just in terms of what he brings. Um, I think Chris Richards is is arguably our best distributive center back. Uh, from a passing standpoint, I think Chris Richards has the best vision, has has some of the best, you know, passing ability in terms of long balls and short passes and, and just, you know, ability to break lines. I think Chris Richards reads the game exceptionally well. The one major weakness in Chris Richards' game especially when compared to guys like Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson to a degree, Cameron Carter-Vickers, is strength and size. Um, Chris Richards does not do particularly well in aerial duels. I believe he's only 6'2 or 6'3. He's not particularly tall um, and he's not the strongest center back, but like he makes up for it for me in, in reading of the game ability and passing ability. And you need Chris Richards on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, you, said, you mentioned his pros and cons very well if if he can become stronger in the air you know if we can feel more confident having him back there and the corner kick comes in and he's the first one to clear it out on the near post type of thing if if I can feel that kind of confidence in him I think it would make this decision a lot easier but he's someone who I think should be on this uh, you know in many of our matches in the summer and in Qatar his ball playing ability is so strong and I love the way he can break lines and add something so dynamic to our team especially with us getting some some midfielders like Weston and, and, and Eunice and, and Luca and Georgie and these guys who, who want the ball immediately to turn and go. I think having someone like that will help them tremendously. Definitely. Let's talk, let's talk the two main guys right now, because I think there's a very interesting conversation around the two guys who have kind of emerged as Greg's favorite center backs, Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson. For me, I think two very similar players but yet two very different players. What does is, what is Walker Zimmerman bring to you? And, and I wish Nick was here because I know Nick loves Walker Zimmerman. But, but for you, Samir, what does Walker Zimmerman bring? And, and what are some of the question marks around him that you have? To me, Walker brings confidence. Walker brings experience. He brings strong aerial prowess, both offensively and defensively, and command. And those things are very important as well, you know, to, to the game and to center back and to the team as well. I think he he's limited in his in some of his passing sense. Yeah, can he hit a 50-yard ball over the top? Sure. How accurate is it? I don't know. And also his decision making with passing out the back. If we're gonna try and build out the back, Walker's not the guy. Um, 
with the the IQ to, to play certain balls and just the nuances you know it takes to to build out the back. I just don't think he's there. So that's where I'm a little bit down on Walker. It's just the ability to to play out the back and be com- be comfortable on the ball because I'm I'm you know obviously I'm not the coach, but I'm not looking to go into these games you know thinking we're gonna have to sit back and let them have possession the whole time. Obviously, that might be how we want to play, but I want to have the ball. I want our center backs to be, you know, getting the ball on rotations around the back and looking for cross-field switches like Chris Richards, I think, can, and John Brooks can, and some others can. So that's where I think he's limited. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I would be happy if he's there, but, you know, when you're asking me what, what he was limited at, that's what I would say. No, I, I think I would, I would completely agree. Uh, I think he's a strong, strong defender. Um, maybe have questions about his defending in isolation, but, but other than that, yeah, you're right. He's a guy who's going to go in, he's going to win duels and he's going to bring, bring that, that passion and leadership. And I think Miles Robinson is a very similar player. Some, some very similar concerns I think is, you know, maybe, maybe has a bit more passing range and passing ability than Walker Zimmerman and sacrifices that for some of the strength and leadership and decisiveness that you see from Walker Zimmerman, Walker Zimmerman. Um, Miles Robinson is also a guy who has shown to be a bit error prone. I think, especially really since the turn of the year, um, you know, we were just talking about Eric Palmer Brown as a center back who's had one of the best 2022s. I mean, there's, there's an argument right now to say that Miles Robinson is the U S player with one of the worst 2022s for both club and country. I mean, so far. And, and I think that's something. Yeah, not not his uh, brightest start at all to 2022. It did look better this weekend against FC Cincinnati, uh, a nil nil draw there. But yeah, not his not his strongest right now. Need him to up his game a little bit come the end of this MLS season. Still early in the MLS grand scheme of things, um, but Miles, like you said, is is has similar some similar aspects and is limited in similar ways to Miles with his passing and his is just distribution. Um, speaking of, you know, on the two guys way that you like to talk about it, two guys now who we've talked about, but just to put them together, who have emerged now as fan favorites, Eric Palmer Brown and Cameron Carter Vickers, where do you see the, these two in the pool and there, maybe their chances to, to get anywhere into Qatar? How far down are they? What are we looking at with these two guys? Right. I, I think from a fan's point of view, Those are the two guys knocking on the door. And I think they're in Greg's mind as well. Um, I think if you want to talk about guys just on the outskirts, I think you also group them in with maybe an Aaron Long and a Mark McKenzie. I think those are kind of, you know, we talk about the four guys who who are probably going to be there or be in and around. I think those are the four guys who are maybe the next up, right, in terms of injury or, or really looking to break through. Obviously, I have questions about the latter two, but we'll get well, starting in a question from from Cameron Carter Vickers and Eric Palmer Brown. I think Cameron Carter Vickers is a better version of Walker Zimmerman, if I'm going to put it bluntly. I Cameron Carter Vickers is a strong, strong center back, both physically, mentally, and aerially. Um, that dude would hit a bus if it looked it in the wrong way while driving. He would get out of his car. <laughs> and drive his head through a passenger bus and stop a dead in its tracks. Um, he's just a powerful, powerful center back and has shown in Scotland this year where he has, by the way, been, he's, he's in the running for player of the year in Scotland. Probably won't win it, 
um, just because a couple other guys from Celtics, some of the goal scorers are, are more likely to win it, but has been one of the, the, the most integral players for Celtic this season in the Scottish Premiership. Um, he's shown a passing ability that I don't think I saw him have prior. And that's a passing ability. It, it's a long-range passing ability. Um, I have questions about his ability to play under pressure, mostly because he's never asked to. But I know you you like CCV, so I'll kind of let you take this one a little bit too. Yeah, it's hard to to rate his passing too much in in kickball championship. Um, not a lot of not a lot of intricate passing going on there. But yeah, I rate him a lot. And don't anyone forget, just a quick little tidbit. His dad. Did you know his dad was drafted into the NBA? Maybe you knew that he played college basketball, but did you know he was drafted? I, I 15th heard overall? something about that. 15th overall? To which really? team? I forget now. But, yeah, his dad was a, an NBA basketball player for a little bit. Um, just quick, quick little tidbit. But, yeah, I love him. He's built so stocky, so so aggressive, so strong in the tackle, um, and also has an ability to play out of the back. I think I rate him higher on my list than Aaron Long. I rate him higher on the list than Mark McKenzie. I'm, I'm, I think, I, in, in my, again, in my eyes, higher than EPB. I don't think Aaron Long – I think he's fallen off a little bit at the moment. Aaron Long Aaron like Long's a weird one. In, in, terms of the, in terms of my hierarchy for these guys, I'm saying in the MLS he might still be strong. But my hierarchy of these guys with, with CCV and EPB, both you know, two 24-year-olds killing it over there in League One and Scottish Championship, I'm going to rate those a little bit higher in my eyes. And just the performances themselves show it. No, and, and I, I think I would tend to agree with you on that one. I think my only – my only concern with completely writing off Aaron Long at this point in time, um, you know, and this is without getting into the conversation around glue guys or, you know, locker room guys like Greg had, I think that's personally, I think it's a ridiculous conversation and a ridiculous argument to even have, um, you know, but whatever. My, my one kind of hesitation on, on completely writing off Aaron Long from a fan point of view, not from a Greg point of view, is limited sample size. Obviously, he's just come back from injury. You know, he was a key player when Greg first took over. Greg really liked him. And, and you know, we may not have seen the best version of Aaron Long back yet. But, but at, at the same time, is the best version of Aaron Long better than the best version of Cameron Carter-Vickers, of Eric Palmer-Brown, even of Mark McKenzie, I, I don't think so, personally. I just don't think Aaron Long is, is U.S. quality standard, both from his passing ability, his focus, his 1v1 defending. I, I just I think there's so many question marks, and, and hopefully those will be answered, right? But I don't know. I agree with you completely there. You said it perfectly. Yes, Aaron Long will progressively get better this season. New York Red Bulls looks like a, it looks like a decent team in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, I think he'll have a strong play to, a part to play in that. But when I rank him against these other guys, like you said, CCV to me is higher on that in, in this list. And so is Eric Palmer Brown. And, and I'm even maybe in Mark McKenzie as well. So those are, you know, there's a, those kind of guys are right there creeping. I would say, tell me who, tell me if you think I'm wrong. These are my creeping guys. John Brooks, Chris Richards, Mark McKenzie, Aaron Long, Cameron Carter, Vickers, and Eric Palmer Brown. Those who I'd be like my guys that I'm most confident in that I might see some form of those 
four of the guys on that list that I just named, I imagine um, would be there, and no one else. You think James Sands or someone? Let's talk about I think, James Sands. So it's interesting, right? If we're talking Qatar, with the assumption that there's a 23-man roster, and I don't want to we'll, – we, we will definitely have this full-flown conversation as it, as it gets closer. I, I would just take Chris Richards off of your list personally um, and put him on, on whatever lock list you have. I think Chris Richards is as close to a center back lock outside of Walker Zimmerman that there is. I, I genuinely think Chris Richards is more of a lock than Miles Robinson, given Miles Robinson's 2022 form for club and country, um, as well as his skill set. And I, I like Miles, right? I'm, I'm not writing off Miles. But he has stagnated in MLS, and Chris Richards has shown that he has just getting is just getting better week in week out that he plays. So, I think Chris Richards I would just take off your list. But other than that, yes, I, I think those are the guys kind of knocking on the door to take two to three final spots. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like you said, and and going further down the pecking order and the pool that the U.S. has, um, looking at the likes of you know just how deep this pool is, James Sands, Tim Ream. Matt Miazga, Justin Che, those are four guys. And I don't think even, maybe I should have included James Sands and maybe even Matt Miazga, uh, but mainly James Sands in the creeping kind of, you know, corridor that I was mentioning. Where are you, where, where, how do you feel about that? This part of the, the pool, when we get to kind of Tim Reams and Matt Miazga's and, and James Sands and Justin Che's. I think it's definitely guys that, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's guys that this podcast is, solely the purpose for right that these episodes are solely the purpose for it's guys to not forget about the name just because you haven't seen it over the past you know six six months or so six to twelve months just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean they're not there um i think james sands is a guy who's been in more camps than a lot of people maybe would have thought at the beginning of 2020 um and a lot of that has to do with versatility james sands's biggest thing biggest strength for me is his versatility uh he can play as a center back or as a six there are questions, I think, for a lot of people as to what his best position is. I personally don't really rate him as a center back, especially in a back two. But we've seen him, I believe his only appearances so far for the U.S. have been at center back. So that's why he's, we're talking about him like this. But I don't think he, he is best as a center back. Um, but what do, you, what do you think about James Sands? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we like James Sands, like we've talked about, for his positional fluidity. You know, he's somebody that provides something a little bit different. He is getting sparing minutes at Rangers right now, and if we saw an increased load, you know, potentially in the fall, could, could think differently about him. Um, he's some, he is somebody I think highly of. You know, he, he does distribute the ball decently. Um, I don't know how strong of a center back he would be. It reminds me, thinks I think of him more as a CDM. Tim mm-hmm. Ream is somebody who would just get his 250 appearance appearance for, uh, for Fulham. You know, this will be his third time going up from the championship to the Premier League. Can you imagine that? Going up and down three times. You go up three times, down, th- oh, so much movement. I can't, I can't imagine how many other guys have gone from championship to Premier League three times, let alone with, with the, the same, same club. Yeah, That's there can't insane. be... There, there can't be many like that. Maybe maybe Mitrovic? Has he been there the whole time they've been doing this? Ooh, no, because I think he... Was he only there for the last one and, and, the, two. and, and now this Mitrovic one? Mitrovic might have been with Fulham for the last two. Yeah. Three so... cycles of promotion and relegation. That's impressive. God. Well, well done to you, Timmy. 
<clears throat> yeah, he's a baller over there, bro. Major credit for that much success in a in you know a top level club like Fulham, who could easily find you know the next best product. So he's somebody who is around there just because he's he, you know he is playing well. I don't think, but again, come the fall when they're in the prem, he ain't gonna be playing. So what's the situation right. there? Right. I, Matt, I think Matt, Kimmering brings things, but that's why I put him in there. But but I don't know. Quick, I think it's worth Tim Ream is because Tim Ream is somebody who we've, you know, talked negatively about in the past for sure when he was included with the US. And and let's just be clear, I'm not putting I didn't put him on this list because I want him to be included by any means. I don't oh, think yeah. he's US quality, but he's there. He's in the pool. It's you know, it's it's not, you know, just again, just because we're not talking about it, I'm sure he's He's on their center back depth chart. I'm sure he's he's listed there. Uh, another person who's probably listed there is Matt Miazga. For what 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 team is it again in in La Liga? Gosh, why am I blanking? Uh, it's not. Is it Valdez? Is it it's Alves? I couldn't Alves. remember if it was Valdez or Alves. I was gonna say Getafe, but I knew it wasn't Getafe. No, it's, it's, it's it's Alves. Yes. Yeah, Alves. Um, how much has he played as of recent? Is he is he still getting is he still getting consistent minutes over there? Uh, I believe he's been injured for quite some time now. Um, maybe since around the turn of the year, he picked up a decent injury, I believe. Either that, or he has not been playing. Um, I haven't seen a lot from him since since about January, but I know that before January, he was playing quite a bit. Um, you know, the end of end of twenty twenty one, he was getting decent minutes. A lot of people were were hoping for his call up in the November camp. Just to talk about, you know, that was the first anti John Brooks camp. It was the first, well, we really don't have a center back camp yet, you know. And a lot of people were saying Matt Miazga, maybe he's a guy here. And Matt Miazga is somebody who, you know, has been in the USMNT pool in the past, has been a decent player for the United States. And, you know, he's error prone. He is certainly not the greatest defender in isolation. Um, and, and, you know, part of that is the error proneness, but look, he's another progressive center back. He's another center back who reads the game very well with a pair or with a three and, you know, somebody to keep in the back of your mind for sure. Yeah. I I still, I still love him for everything he's done. Um, he's still considered a Chelsea player, I believe. And so I have to like him for that. Um, Justin Shea though. Is an interesting per- interesting one when you go down this list of of the center back pool. Obviously, highly rated was with Bayern last year. And, you know, with their B team goes back to Dallas. Now, now, now with Hoffenheim, uh, got his debut not long ago, and kind of is playing with Hoffenheim too. But someone who, you know, again, if come August he starts receiving Joe Scally type minutes last fall. Uh, and, and depending how well he looks, it's not just all about the minutes, but he's someone who I rate very highly, who, again, it's all about the situation. could see, not, not, not probably making the roster, but just making it harder. He, he's somebody I think really highly of. So another mm-hmm. person to, to know about and, and just remember down this uh, pecking order. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Justin Che is a guy who obviously has been in, in a number of U20 camps. He was at the Revelations Cup. And I thought it was one of the standout performers from the, the last Revelations Cup. Um, the, the, is that U20? Is that a U20 Cup or U23 Cup? Remind me, it's a U20 Cup. Right? Uh, I think it's U20. Yeah, it's U20. U20 Cup. He was at the last U20 Cup. Um, you know, the U.S. obviously didn't have the greatest showing there for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, but 
he was one of those standout performers alongside guys like Paxton Aronson, Quinn Sullivan. Um, but yeah, look, Justin Shea is raw for sure. Has raw. a lot similar to Chris Richards. Um, actually, honestly, I, I take that he's more similar to Miles Robinson, I believe, in terms of you know raw skill set and, and things like that. Justin Shea is incredibly athletic. He's tall. And, you know, I, I, he's tall as hell. I don't even know how tall he is, but big, big dude. And, you know, just has that athletic skill set about him that, that could be very beneficial when paired with technique. A guy who's going to be interesting to watch him. And like you said, going to hopefully make the conversation harder for Greg. Another one of those guys who is maybe coming along this year to make the conversation harder for Greg getting consistent minutes in the MLS and, and usually consistent great minutes is George Campbell. It's been one of Atlanta's star performers, breakout performers this year, you know, usually paired in center back with Miles Robinson had a great first game of the year and kind of burst onto the scene, the first game of the year against supporting KC. Uh, what do you, how do you rate George Campbell? Yeah. He's somebody I remember talking about a good amount last season, but not seeing the breakthrough and seeing more of the breakthrough now. Uh, for him this season, which is, you know, you're always expected to see certain players get that final breakthrough and take, take advantage of it. He's a strong center back who I think has, uh, he's definitely physically imposing. He's a big boy as well. You know, he, he looks the part in, in what many would say. Uh, not, I'm not too familiar with, with his game in terms of his, his passing ability. Have you been able to, to keep an eye on, on how he looks in the buildup distribution, kind of that aspect of the game? I think it's more of a, a Miles Robinson type situation with him too. I, I think, I mean, and, and maybe it's a convenience thing, this comparison, because they play side by side every week. But I, I do think that he is kind of the next Miles Robinson type center back to come out of the MLS. And I know I just compared a center back to Miles Robinson, but just Che, meh, less so. George Campbell is, is kind of a direct mold, I think, of a young Miles Robinson. Uh, an answer to what if our best athletes played soccer? And so he's a guy who has a lot to learn in the technique department and in the ball progression department. I worry, I worry if he's going to learn that at Atlanta simply, and this is simply by watching the trajectory, the career trajectory of Miles Robinson in that department. But yeah, I agree with you. He's an imposing guy. He's, he's pretty quick for a center back from what I've seen, reads the game pretty well. Um, and yeah, strength, strength and speed and athleticism are his biggest, biggest qualities for sure. Uh, yeah, those uh, strength, speed, size. He's got, like I said, a physically imposing center back. Is there anyone else that you think is worth noting in our center back pool for 2022? It's tough, right? Because there's, you know, a lot of guys who, who we haven't seen yet. Um, and I know one of the the guys that, that you really are high on in the skill set that we haven't seen this year, but may see more, you know, come the end of the season or, or come the beginning of next season is, is John Tompkinson. Um, you know, I, I think guys like that, right. Guys who are on the periphery of their club teams who may be in a different situation come next year. We just, we just don't know. And, and so, you know, they're guys who aren't going to be on really on the radar for 2022, but with a standout year, could make the conversation harder. Conversation harder. I'll let you talk quickly about Tomkinson, though. Yeah, I'll just say, like, for players that 
that need that basically will only get a fall 2022 to impress, it's going to be hard. You know, it's easier for players like, <clears throat> you know, CCV and Eric Palmer Brown and Chris Richards and Mark McKenzie, who have already been showing it to have a strong 20, you know, fall. And then that's their reason for getting on. You know, they, they, the right. recent, recent bias along with knowing them players who just have the strong fall. Like I think Justin Shea could, or, Jonathan Tompkinson, um, it's a little bit harder. But, yeah, Tompkinson is an interesting player for Norwich. Plays for the U23s, has captained their side a bunch of times, um, looks to be, you know, one of the premier defenders on their team. Don't really understand the desire to not give him a single ounce of minutes. I don't understand this. When teams are going down, when you know you're going down, I'd, I'd give all the players I can some experience against top level. Obviously, you don't want to lose 6 nothing and stuff like that. But if you can slide in, one or two players, one player a game, maybe off the bench here or there, just to get them minutes. So maybe next season they're better. I don't understand that. But he is, again, another tall, strong, aerial duel winning center back. You know, reminds me of, of Walker a little bit in that, in that sense. Um, who I think could make a push for 2026. But yeah, 2022 is not, not something for him. I no, for sure. I, I would agree with you there. Right? Like those guys who are on the periphery now, whose seasons aren't going to develop until next season, yeah, probably not going to happen, but it's worth noting. And maybe, you know, this is a conversation for 2026, but there are some of the guys too, who maybe aren't necessarily the age profile for 2026 that could jump up too. a guy that comes to mind for me is Leonard Maloney for Borussia Dortmund. Um, you know, he's seen a lot of time this year for their youth teams anyway, at the right back position. Um, and when he has come on, for Dortmund in the, in the sparing minutes that he's played, he's played a bit of center back, but a bit of left back, but a right back. But I think his natural position is a center back and, and it'll be a guy like that. Just right. Any interesting one to talk about, probably not in the age profile for 2026, but in who knows with the good 2020 with the good fall 2022, you never know what could happen. Oh, and at the Sowie is on that list for me. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> If he yeah. has a strong 2022 modeling, I want him modeling our kits for uh, the World Cup. I that's who should be, you yeah, model modeling. Imagine Owen Otisawi hooking up the GQ US like photo shoot with the Balenciaga, the Balenciaga USMNT collab. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. He's just gonna be a model. He's gonna become like a a model agent director or something and just handle all of the U S men's national team players. And they're all going to have Gucci sponsors and stuff. And it's going to be thanks to Owen at and everyone who talked bad on his name is going to, um, is going to eat their words. I hope so, bro. I just want, this is just getting me to the point. I, all I want, man, is a Gucci U S kit. That's all I want. A Gucci U S M N T collab. I can talk to my people over, 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 overseas, and we can see if we can get something made for you. Yeah, you got them. You got them. You got them, folks over there. You got some Balenciaga hookups. You ever heard of this nice little? It's a good friend of mine named uh, DHG. Oh, good, good friend of mine named DHG. I did just pick me up a Venezia Gianluca Busia kit from from DHG, and that thing. Oh, that, hmm, Let me just tell that's, you. Which, which one did you get? That's fire. The black one. You got the black one because they I also think the have black like, one looks better than the white. Yeah, and then they also have like that blue kind of right. one, which is nice. But the black is clean. The black, black is clean black. with the with the kappa too. With the kappa, mm. Mm. kappa, love me some kappa. That's gorgeous. But 
Anyway, I think that's going to do it for us. Look, tell us your thoughts on the center backs, guys. I think there's a lot to talk about here, you know, in terms of 2022, 2026, November, June, September, all these dates that we're talking about. There's so many guys who are going to come into the conversation, so many guys who we're going to talk about, we are going to hear all over Twitter, all over the media. Let us know your thoughts so maybe we can jump on it a little bit earlier. But as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Give our podcast a nice rating on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen. And, you know, follow our uh, follow our Twitter, follow our socials at OTB underscore pod official. Thanks for joining us again, Samir. Thanks for joining us. Ciao, everybody.